one of the, the problems with, with preaching in the same spot over and over again is that I tend to find the same illustrations and I like them. And uh, so I'm going to tell it to you again because I was reminded about it a couple weeks ago. We had general conference and was there in Kansas City and we were walking down the road and there's pigeons everywhere. I don't know what it is about the, the, uh, the, the urban environment that causes pigeons to flourish, but they were there. In fact, we, it was funny. We were walking to church and I know Dad was with me. I think Zane and Zoe were probably with me. Not sure if Brienne or Zeke was there yet or, or you know, with us. But we, we, we said, you know, probably the reason why they, they, they tend to be in the urban environment is there's not a lot of predators. And about that time, a great big old hawk just swooped over our head and the pigeons went flying everywhere. And then we walked a little bit further and found a pile of feathers. And so there's obviously hawks in the city. But I know I've used this, but it, it just reminds me, and I think it bears... Uh, going back over, but have you ever noticed that a pigeon walks funny? And maybe you remember it, but a pigeon is is very uh, the way its eyes are. Its eyes are not able to focus. You and I, I my eyes, we're able to to focus. We can almost in the same thing. We can pull uh, near and far, focus into it. But a pigeon cannot do that. A pigeon has a very fixed. Uh, field of view and so because of that a pigeon will see something and then it will take a step and when it does what's in front of it gets out of focus and at the risk of being crazy a pigeon has to bring its head to a complete stop between every step in order to refocus so it goes like this the pigeon sticks its head forward and it gets its view and it takes a step and then it stops its head and then it refocuses, and then it takes a step, and then it sticks his head out. You ever seen a pigeon walk? It does it on purpose. That's how it goes. Sometimes I believe that in our spiritual walk, we have much the same problem as the pigeon. As we go forward in life, we tend to lose focus a bit. And I would just like to tell you today that it is necessary in life and in our journey to stop a few times and refocus where we are in relation to the word, in relationship to the will of God. And, and it has to have these moments where you just stop for a moment and get a grip on what is happening. Now, I, we're going to talk about some verses and we're going to go through some things. But, you know, have you ever heard these things, these phrases? They are biblical in a sense, but have you heard these phrases? God will not put on you more than you can bear. Okay, three of you. Has any of you ever been in a bad situation? A, a, maybe a, a, a loss of a loved one. Maybe a, a, a sickness in your family. Maybe some strife in a marriage. Perhaps some other incident. Have you ever been in a place where, where you were going through it and someone looks at you and says, it'll be okay, brother. God will not put on you more than you can handle. And if you'll be really honest with me, you would rather slap him in the face at that moment. Okay, it's all right. You're in good company. How about this? And again, they, these are biblical. But I, I hope through the word we can maybe see them a little bit different light. What about this? You've gone through a catastrophe in your life. You've gone through a tragedy. You're, you're really slogging through it. And someone says, all things work together for the good of them that love God. And you want to slap them. 
Now, while those are Bible verses and while there is great truth in that, I would like to tell you a little bit about that. Let me take that first phrase for just a moment. God will not put on you more than you can bear. 1 Corinthians, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above all that you are able, and will, with that temptation, also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. This is, what this verse means is God is not going to allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. This is proven in Scripture. Now realize, this is only talking about the temptation that mankind has towards sin. This does not apply to sickness. This does not apply to other trials of life. It just is saying that, hey, let me tell you, I have walked, this is Jesus, I have walked where you've walked. And yes, the devil knows how to tempt us, but I'm going to tell you, there is no temptation that has taken you. This is 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted, and will, uh, with that temptation, also make a way of escape that you may able be able to bear it. So that verse doesn't always work for all of our situations. What it works is someone who says, you know what, I'm really tempted to sin. You can look at them and say, let me help you out. God will not put more on you than you can bear in that temptation. I talked to someone today. I was having a conversation with them. And they said, we, we, we quit smoking 10 years ago. I just decided I'm, gonna, I'm done smoking. I, I don't want to live that lifestyle anymore. I don't want to drink. And said, I was out on the porch and I was smoking. And I looked at it and I said, you know what, self? You don't need to smoke anymore. And they threw it away. And they went on to say it was hard. But the point was, you can make it through temptations. But it doesn't apply everywhere else. All things work together for good of them that love God. Well, that, there's some truth to that. I would definitely tell you that, that we know that God is able to keep us. We know that God is able to take the bad situations and turn them around. But can I just be brutally honest with you today? Sometimes the situations are more than we can bear. Now, I'll tell you, God will help us through them, but I have looked twice in the eyes of parents with four-year-olds, and I have twice had to be in the room where they have to unplug those two four-year-old little girls, and I've had to be there when that little girl doesn't take a breath when they pull it. And I will tell you, there is not a Bible verse, it seems, in the world that's going to help them at that moment. How do you answer the couple? that is about to lose their house? How do I answer a child whose parents are in the midst of a divorce? How do I answer the man who has been diagnosed with cancer and healing has not occurred? This morning we got the news, my wife and I, and some of you may know him, but a, a friend of, our, of ours in ministry, Brother David Jackson, um, and, and some of you may know him because he, he was Brother Kenneth Haney's uh, administrative assistant and among other things there at headquarters. But my wife and I knew him first as a pastor that believed in our young ministry and let us come and preach at his church in Hohenwald, Tennessee when not a lot of other people were ready to let the Brandon Buford bunch loose in their church. And that's where I know, well, he, uh, it seems like just a few months ago he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. There were thousands of people praying 
Today he went home to the Lord. I don't understand that. I don't comprehend that. There's no magic words that I can speak to him. Because sometimes the truth is, I don't seemingly have an answer. See, the more I study scripture, the more I am convinced that there are things in life that are more than I can bear. So if you will, let me give you about three, maybe four people that I want to preach about. I was in the office before church, and as I do with, with, the, off, with, with the platform staff, I kind of let them know the direction so Sister Cindy or whoever's playing knows where to go. And I said, I'm not exactly sure how we're going to end this sermon. I'm going to let you all figure that out, and they're really good at that. I said, I'm going to preach about Elijah, and I'm going to preach about Paul, and I'm going to preach about David. And Jared said, well, we're going to preach about Jesus. Well, I don't know that I'm going to speak much about his life, but I think Jesus would be in the sermon, Brother Jared. So there we go. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets that we have. The book of 1 Kings chapter 19. If you have it, you can follow there. I'm not going to read it word for word, but let me just show you some things. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. This is right after Elijah on Mount Carmel had called down fire from heaven in a simple prayer. And, and then the, the, the crowd got excited about God answering and they killed the prophets of Baal that had tried for all day long to see an answer from their God. And Ahab tells Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had slain the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel is mad. Those were her prophets. Those were her doing. And she's mad. And so she sends a messenger to Elijah. And this is what she says. Let the gods do to me and more if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Basically, Jezebel said, I want the gods to kill me if I don't kill you first tomorrow. Stupid prayer. But she was a stupid woman. So it's kind of par for the course. So Elijah, who has just seen an incredible miracle on top of Mount Carmel, gets a, a telegram from Jezebel. And he sees it. The Bible said he rises and he flees for his life to Beersheba. And he goes there and he leaves his servant. Elijah keeps going about a day's journey into the wilderness. And he sits under a juniper tree. And Elijah prays and requests, Lord let me die. I don't care how you exegete that verse out. Elijah said this is more than I can bear. Now here's the thing. On the flip side of life, we want to look at Elijah and say, you're crazy, dude. You just saw God pour fire from heaven and burn a sacrifice that had been soaked in 12 50-gallon buckets of water and, and you didn't even light a match, and, and you've seen God in his wrath consume and allow those 800 plus prophets to be killed to Baal, and how are you running from one measly old woman? It's easy for us to armchair quarterback. But if you could have gotten Elijah one-on-one, -on -one, he would have looked at you with trembling hands, and he would have said, my life isn't worth it. Just take me now lays and he sleeps under the juniper tree. An angel touches him and says, arise and eat. He wakes up and somewhere that angel had got a fire burning and it's already down to the coals and there's some bread baking on the coals. There's some water at his head and he eats and he drinks and he lays down again. What a miracle. It's an angel just fed him in the midst of the wilderness. 
But the angel came to him the second time. This is, this is uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 7. I want you to look at this. The angel of the Lord came again a second time. I don't know how that is. There are some that say when the Bible says the angel of the Lord, it's literally an angel. And there's other commentaries and, and, and other smarter men than I that says it's really a theophany of God himself. Either way, it's someone from heaven. Came to Elijah and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. Seriously? It's one thing for us to say it's too much for I can bear. But now the angel's saying, guess what, Elijah? This is too much for you to bear. First Corinthians, or first Corinthians, sorry, first Kings chapter 19 and verse 7. Let's go to Paul, great apostle Paul. For 2 Corinthians, I'm going to get it right one of these times. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. How we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch we despaired even of life. Let me give you a different translation of that. Paul said... I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Paul said, sometimes things are too much for me to handle. How about David? My goodness, I love the Psalms, and there's incredible truths in the Psalms. But it doesn't take very long, Brother Sponsor, to read through those Psalms and realize there was a lot of despair in David's life. One of them reads this way, Psalms 40 and 11. Don't withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more, they are more than the hairs of my head. And my heart fails within me. Sometimes life is too much for us to handle. Psalm 69, 1, save me, O God, for the waters have come to my neck. I'm sinking in the miry depths. There's no foothold. I've come to the deep waters and the floods engulf me. I am worn out. I'm calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, and I'm looking for my God. It's a different translation of Psalm 69, 1 through 3. Sometimes life is too much to bear. What about the book of Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Didn't bow when the king said bow. The king brings them to him. And they, oh, they're, they're, they love God. And they said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of this burning, fiery furnace and is able to deliver us out of thy hand, O king. And man, you ought to shout a little bit. That's exciting. But when they said that, None of the, bang, the, 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 the chains fell off of them. None of the ropes came off of them. There was no explosion of angelic warriors coming to their rescue. And so one of them, I don't know who, one of them says, But if not, let it be known unto thee. Even if I burn to death in the fiery furnace, we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And even though that among itself, if they were martyred of God, it would be a testimony. But still, sometimes life doesn't play out the way you think it's going to play out. Paul said again, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, This thing, I asked the Lord three times that he might take it away and the answer is he never did because sometimes life is too much to handle 
And so lest all of you need some depression medicine at the moment, I want to take those same people. See, I have to be careful I don't get so, so much where you live that, that, that you just start remembering all of the situations and the problems and you kind of tune out the rest of me. So knock your neighbor and say, listen to what he's about to say. Because I want to take those same three people, four instances, but same three people. And you saw in the Bible, the Bible says those instances were too much for them to bear. How many of you saw that in the Bible? All right? I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. We've got to quit thinking that people in the Bible were, were better than we are, if you will. They went through the same trials. They went through the same heartache. They went through the same loss. But let me show you how each of those three got through it. And, the, and, and, and it's four instances, if you will, but three different people. And in them, they got through it in different ways. Because God doesn't necessarily do things the same every time. So Elijah got up from slaying and moaning and, and depressed under a juniper tree where he said, I can't go through it. And God himself, if you will, said, this is too much for you to bear. But Elijah got up and he ate of that bread and he drunk of that water and he went in the strength of what he had for 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. He basically said, I don't know what I'm going to do. But if you'll lead me, Lord, I'll go. Elijah was walking. He came to a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I love a God that's willing to ask us questions because it's kind of like when you walk up to someone and you ask that question, How are you doing? You ever did that just to be nice and then you get a 40 minute expose of how many sores they have and how they're oozing and they want to show you it and you want to see my scar and you're like, oh wait, I, I just really wanted to say hello and kind of keep going on in Walmart. You could be honest. I know some of you, some of you see me in Walmart and you just walk out of Walmart because you don't want to talk to me. I know how it goes. But God asks I mean, God knew why he was there. God brought him to that cave. But he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says, listen, God, I have been very jealous. And that doesn't mean the, the green jealousy that we think about. It just means, Lord, I've done everything for you. I have, I, I, the, the, you know, I've tried everything I can to live for you. But everybody around me has fallen. All of the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've, they're slaying the prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now he wasn't. You can find out later there were other people living for God. But in the midst of our trial, guess what? It seems like we're the only one. It seems like we're the only one that's ever walked that path. We're the only one that's ever been there. And God speaks to Elijah who's depressed, who's about ready to throw in the tile. And if he could have found a good way to jump off that cliff, he would have. God says, go stand on the mountain before me. And Elijah brings himself there in the presence of God. And the Lord passes by and a strong wind was shaking the mountain. And it was avalanche of rocks that began to fall down. But the Bible is very specific when it says, but the Lord was not in the wind. An earthquake came that rattled the foundations of that mountain. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
There was a fire. I don't know how the fire was on the mountain. I don't know if it was a forest fire or a whirlwind of fire. But something, a phenomenon began to happen. And the Bible says the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire, a still, small voice. Can I just tell somebody for a moment that you may think that you're the only one left. You may think you're the only one that's gone through it. And sometimes you come to church and you watch everybody else shout. And you see somebody run the aisles. And you see somebody give a great testimony. But you don't feel anything. I'm telling you, you just need to listen a little bit. Sometimes it'll be while you lay on your bed at night. A still, small voice will simply whisper in your ear. You are not alone. I am with you. It doesn't always happen with the explosions. It doesn't always happen with the grandeur of miracles. Sometimes it's just simply a still, small voice. Paul had said we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We didn't think we were going to live through it. We expected to die. But let me tell you how Paul got through life that was too much for him to handle. He says this, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and we started to rely on God who raises the dead. I like that. Paul says, I thought I was going to die. And, and finally I just said, Lord, I can't escape this situation. I don't know what all Paul is talking about. The Bible doesn't go in all of the details. But Paul said, you know what? God, I might die on this, but at least I've watched you raise the dead. That's faith. Paul says we quit relying on ourselves and he rescued us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again and if we place our confidence in him, he will continue to rescue us. Let me tell you how Paul got through the things that were too much for him to handle. He quit trying to figure it out and he started trusting the one that could raise the dead. Sometimes in life, we've waited for the still small voice and it didn't come. But what God's really waiting for is you to let go. I remember a story my dad told me as, as a kid. We, we used to have, a, I believe it was our old navy blue Oldsmobile 88. It was a long old car. We were just recently moved from the great metropolis of De Quincey, Louisiana, where you could still ride your horse down Main Street and ask me how I know because I've done it. And I, I, there, I can't tell you how many times I'd take the horse from Momo and Pawpaws and I'd ride down Main Street and I'd tie the horse up outside McDonald's and go get something to eat. And we'd ride over this house. But we came from little Podunk, Louisiana to the metropolis of St. Louis and we saw traffic. I remember my dad coming home and he said, I was, I was driving from, from, from the St. Charles Rock Road up to, to, I believe, headquarters, just gotten on the highway. He said, I was driving down the road. I, th th these things in my mind. He said, I was driving down the road, and all of a sudden, it was raining, and those four tires lifted up, and he began to hydroplane. And long before Carrie Underwood sang a song, my dad said, I began to spin down that road, and he said it got to the place where I was going backwards and watching semi-trucks coming at me. He said, finally, I just let go of the wheel. And I said, I can't do it. Jesus, I need you. God just took that car and took it over to the curb. And he went down a little embankment. 
no big deal, just a little tow truck pull out and he drove on home. Can I just tell you, sometimes in life you need to hear the word of God that says get your hands off the life. It's the reason you're messed up in the first place. And why don't you come and say I'm going to put my trust in the one that can raise the dead. And even though the circumstance I'm in is a bad circumstance, you're able to help me out of it even if I got myself into it. That's what you do when life is too hard to handle. David learned to trust God, and I don't have time to go through all of it because it would take me more sermons than I have, or more time than I have tonight. And it was that David learned to trust God no matter what the situation was, because in the end, David would look back over his life, and this is what he would say God was in control. Oh sure, sometimes I got out of the will of God and sometimes my sin got me into a place where I had to lose family members and I had to lose the kingdom but I could look back and say no matter what life threw at me there was a God who could handle it and take care of me. The three Hebrew boys, now their story turns out incredible but only in hindsight. They marched to that fiery furnace fully expecting that they might die and they never lost faith. And for every three Hebrew children that go in the fire and come out alive, I will tell you that there are others that were thrown in the fire in times past that God didn't bring them out alive, but their faith sustains them. Sometimes faith, 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 just a little bit of faith Paul found the answer to his dilemma when he said, I sought the Lord three times to take this need away from me, and it never did. But the Lord said unto me, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Lord said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, and I am most gladly, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ might rest upon me. So I will take pleasure in my infirmities, and in approaches, and in necessities, and in persecutions, and in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I made strong. Paul said, sometimes I'm reminded that I'm not going to be able to handle it on my own because there is a God that can. It's a God that can. I, uh, I'm amazed at how God does. I want to invite you to turn with me as I'm beginning to close, I want to show you one other way that God will take you from the things that are too hard for you to handle and how you can handle them. In the book of Genesis chapter 28, you find a story that all of us are familiar with. A story where Jacob has ran away from home because he has, has cheated his father and, and his brother out of the birthright and the blessing and he's running for his life and, 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 and he, he goes to his uncle's house, his uncle Laban there and, and while he's there he, he, he meets this young lady and, and she is beautiful and, and, and he is attracted to her and her name was Rachel and so he goes and he says to Laban, he says, Laban, I want to marry Rachel. Laban says, sounds good, man. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to work for me for 14, or for seven years. Work for me for seven years, and you can get it. 
I don't know what you believe in that story. I, I, I'm kind of of the conclusion, and I think a lot of theologians will say that he did not necessarily have to work seven years before he got Rachel, but that he signed some, some, some you know, documents or made a promise that, that if you let me marry Rachel, I will be here and, and I'm not going to leave. And, you know, and so it was that right away they had a marriage. It was an incredible affair. It was, it, was, it was as big as it could possibly be in those days. And she came out very veiled as was the custom uh, of that time and, and really still is in some of those Bedouin type areas. And, and so the marriage came and, and, and she was heavily veiled. And after the marriage and the ceremony and all of that was over, they go back to their tent and takes that veil off. And it's not Rachel. It's Leah. The Bible says she was tendered eyes. Some people say that she had some vision problems. Others says it means she wasn't pretty to look at. I don't know. But what I do know is that wasn't Jacob's choice. Jacob is wroth. He is so mad. He goes to Laban and he says, Laban, you cheated me. Which was funny that he was going to accuse Laban of cheating him when he cheated everybody he ever came in contact with. Laban says, oh, oh, listen here, son, I, I guess I forgot to tell you. It is our custom that the younger never marries before the older, and so that way I, I didn't want to break the custom, so we gave you Leah. But tell you what, if you'll promise to work seven more years, you can marry Rachel too. I guess if there's one good thing about marrying multiple women is you only have one mother-in-law if you do it that way. My mother-in-law's not here. So now he's got two wives who happen to be sisters, and they're living together, and he's stuck for at least 14 years in that home. Now, we preach a lot about Jacob. We preach a lot about Rachel. The lineage of Jesus comes out of that. But sometimes we forget about Leah. I don't see anywhere that Leah deserved any of what she got. I don't see anything in that story that says Leah tried to cheat or play it. She was a pawn in a game that Laban was playing with Jacob. And later on, Jacob would play with, with, uh, with, with, with Laban and it goes back and forth. And here's a young lady that is stuck in the middle of an unfortunate family situation. She's married to a man that does not love her. It's very obvious. You can read through the Bible, verse, or chapter 29, chapter 30 of Genesis. In fact, the Bible says in verse 30 of Genesis 29 that Jacob went into Rachel and he loved Rachel more than Leah. Because sometimes life isn't fair. Now, the Bible begins to record that they begin to have children. The Bible says in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 29 that when the Lord saw that Leah was hated of Jacob, the Lord opened her womb, and Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. I've preached many times that, that when they named children in the Bible, very, very often they were named according to something that was happening and something that was, that was going on. And so the Lord says that when he named, or when she named this child Reuben, it says, because the Lord hath looked on my affliction, now maybe my husband will love me. Buford's translation, the Lord sees my trouble. And nothing changed. No love was kindled. Just simply the, 
the, the fulfilling the duties of making a family. The barren of Rachel was still shut tight. So the Lord allowed Leah to conceive again and she bore another son. And she said, I'm going to call his name Simeon for the Lord hath heard me. Now maybe my husband will love me. Lord sees me, the Lord hears me. Maybe this is it. And nothing changed. And then the third son was born, Levi. At this point, there's really no God in it. Levi. Leah says, I'm going to name him Levi because maybe this time, the third time's a charm. Maybe this time my husband will connect and be attached to me. I've borne him three sons. Surely this is enough to change the situation I'm in. And nothing changed. At this point, Leah is stuck because sometimes life is too hard to bear. God opened her womb one more time and she bore a son. And she said, I'm going to call his name Judah. And this is what she said, for I will praise the Lord. Let me take it outside of conception. Let me take it outside of family issues. Sometimes in the midst of a problem, there's only one thing you can do is you can say, I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know how it's all going to play out. I can't change this. I can't do anything there. So I'm going to lift my hands and say, you are the Lord God of Israel, the one who is and is to come. And if nothing ever changes, I will praise the Lord. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Life may have thrown you a curve and the situations and circumstances may be more than you can handle. Some of you need to get to a place where you can hear a still, small voice of God. Some of you need to get to the place where you quit depending on yourself and finally turn it over to God and say, Lord, I've obviously can't do it right. Take the wheel. Do whatever it takes. Some of you need to trust the one that can raise the dead. But some of you just simply need to lift your voice and be a Job that says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked will I return thither. For the Lord giveth, and the Lord can take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When I'm on the mountaintop, I give Him glory. When I'm in the valley low, I worship His name. When everything is going good, I give him all the praise he deserves. And when things are going just as bad as they can possibly go, I will still lift my hands and I will say, you are holy. You are holy. Sometimes life is too much for us to handle. I want us to stand right now. Now here, here's, the, here's the, the kicker of this message. There are times that, that God is, is, is very specific and He opens my eyes as a shepherd to see circumstances. But I'm not clairvoyant. I don't operate in that realm of prophecy. I had a person one time get mad at me because I didn't visit them in the hospital. I mean, they were mad. I looked at them in the eye and I said, did you tell me you were in the hospital? They said, no. 
I said, did you put it on Facebook? They said, no. I said, did you tell anybody to tell me you were in the hospital? No. You see the problem in that? I don't know everything. And tonight, the Lord didn't tell me where you are in those four circumstances, if you will. God didn't tell me to start calling people out and say, Brother Matthew, you're the one that needs to go find the still small voice. And Brother Grant, you just need to give up and let God take control. And Brother Zane, you need to trust the one that is able to raise the dead. And and he didn't say, Brother Levi, you just need to praise him. He didn't give me that. What he said was, I want you to preach it. And God said, I'll tell them where they need to be. And so as we begin to close our eyes right now, And as our worship goes forth behind us, I want you to now let the Lord of heaven begin to speak to you. Because somewhere, he's going to tell you where you need to be when life is too much for you to handle. I'm going to open altars. You can kneel down where you are. I really don't care tonight. I just want you and God to talk so that the Lord can speak to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Would you call out to him? Would you reach out to him? Would you pour your heart out to him?